0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Chasing Edges podcast. I'm your host, Brian Peters. Got an absolute stud on today. Big brain, deep thinker. Very articulate human and leader and Logan Gelbreck. He is the owner of Deuce Gyms out in Los Angeles, as well as a leadership and organizational consultant, a speaker, and an author of the Go Right book. And the boys touch on the book and the lessons from it, as well as give some spoilers. But the book does an awesome job, and he does an awesome job of giving you the logical justification to go pursue your dreams. And you know we love that on the podcast Because he and his organizations embody chasing edges. He articulates it beautifully on the podcast on how to keep friction on yourself, how to keep perspective on your own perspective and as well as how to build a true environment to keep people striving and even potentially failing and making a safe space for failing and but keeping everybody under the lights performing how to transition it in your perspective of practice and just going to work into this game uh, spotlight and it's a beautiful conversation his perspective on leadership personal awareness and his ability to tangibilize and objectify it is beautiful so i hope you get a lot out of the podcast enjoy boom logan thanks for joining me dude it's
1: good to see your face i'll, I'll take it over zoom since we're not in person but um you got to come out and visit
0: again oh yeah we'll get in three dimensions uh again here soon <laughs> oh yeah i uh i do i always argue with people that like everything should be another dimension like like it's like the reverse of it's like naval's bit where it's like if it could be a meeting can it be an email could if it's an email can it be a tweet like the reverse of that like if it could be a text like i want to facetime it can be a facetime on like a a zoom or zoom i want to talk and have coffee or something but yeah let's run it back old school one of these days yeah just just, be humans only 3d communication (laughs) just 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 tribe talk that's right yeah longer longer table is the goal but um no, dude, I, I, and I already kind of said it before the podcast, but uh, I'm excited to talk to your, if uh, nobody's heard that, if you have not heard of Logan before he runs the Deuce Gyms out in Los Angeles, um, awesome place. That's where I met him initially out there with uh, my old business partner, Harvey Martin, and and there's kind of got ripping and rolling, but I've li- I've tuned into a bunch of his speeches that he, he does um and also read his book going right that, that I want to talk about a lot as well but just a little preface for the boy just to <laughs> get, get the hype out there but a uh, very structured awesome uh human that uh, articulates all his ideas and concepts very well awesome coach even like the structure of your gym I want to get into too but hype's over you're <laughs> yeah you're awesome human but uh how we start off the deal is wh- where are you chasing edges right now where are you learning and growing
1: yeah man I think that is uh that's the only thing we're, we're ever really doing um you know the irony I think in <clears throat> what you just asked me is you know I get to em- attempt to embody this and speak about this uh you know all over the world and even here at home uh in theory we've built a, a company culture that is sort of systematically um identifying, exposing, and evolving our edges all the time. And so a lot of what I'm working through is at the forefront of my mind, thankfully, because of how we've, we've built this, this organization. Um, I have to be a better leader and, uh, have to be able to communicate and hold more perspectives, um, than I currently can. And, um, that's the the general answer um my uh, ability to interface with people that are different than me that see the world different than me is kind of directly correlated to how much success or not um, we can enjoy uh you know from from my leadership and and being on a team with me so i'm sort of painfully working through that you know in a lot of ways um we sort of hold this perspective that uh, we're all in over our heads, you know, I'm stealing, I'm stealing words from, uh, you know, uh, my guy, Bob Keegan, who I, I reference just about any time I'm talking. So forgive those who have heard me say this before, but Robert Keegan is a a researcher, uh, of adult development, uh, at Harvard. And he has a book by that title in over our heads. And which the basic premise is that, um, our problems, the capacity and complexity of our problems are generally greater than our capacity to hold space for those problems. And so I'm no different. I'm sort of full well knowing that, um, I have to create a bigger container for leadership to do the things that I want to do. And, uh, it's hard as shit every day.
0: Yeah, but it's, uh, I I love the approach like just again it's built in like the entire system is built in to continuously learn grow expand the container expand your capacity and again you're reaching instead of like regressing in that like in that realm like you're being really mindful about not only your actions but the environment in which like your team functions too and I I think that's just like an elite way to do it how did like how did you initially start to set up that environment well my
1: route to this current entrepreneurial place came through team sports, uh, and now I think, you know, you you know that, but you know, for the listeners, um, you know, my background's in baseball. Played collegiately. Played for you know five minutes professionally. Uh, you know, but I I devoted so much of my life to being the best in the world at that. You know, I never achieved. You know that title best in the world or whatever, you know, but that was the North star. And I think that in that container or that vehicle, we'll say of athletic achievement, you can really start to unearth the principles of what is better. That's the question you're really trying to ask every day. I'm sure you showed up to a locker room every day, just trying to answer that same question. Like, what is better? How do I do that? And let's just do that. You know, like if you tell me to stand on my head and count backwards from a hundred, your boy's upside down. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's very simple, you know, and, um, I had an interesting path because I was fortunate enough to be a part of some great teams that really overachieved and really demonstrated some things culturally that I believe if I could replicate, if you could bottle some of the things that I experienced in locker rooms and, you know, um, just reproduce that in other places in the world. It there would be no no financial value you could put on it. It's just it's just pure magic, you know. Yeah. And while I was pursuing that kind of deep desire to pursue excellence in in baseball, I happened upon the leadership school at the University of San Diego. So just coincidence, you know. And if I look backwards. On my life there's so many fortunate coincidences that so here i am at this this uh collegiate program that's really overachieving and transcending anything we ever were before kind of real skin in the game on the field and the university of san diego decides to build a leadership school i'm like okay and the the amount of units required to graduate with a minor in this leadership school was the exact number of units that I had free in my schedule. So I'm like, all right, we could go underwater basket weaving with it. We could do like a weird, you know, take a knee and like do a weird light schedule, or I can sort of steal this leadership minor. So we went for the minor is the, is the the story. And as it plays out, the NCAA uh, creates the first year of the universal start date, right? So that all the NCAA Division I baseball schedule, it would all start on the same date. And that was in an effort to make the season more fair. For example, the University of San Diego, we'd usually play our first weekend in the last weekend of January, mm. which, you know, if you're yeah. at Boston College, you are I mean, you're not even playing a home game until three months later, you know, it's just insane. Right. So they push it back. Longer story made shorter, played the same, you know, whatever it was, 52 games in a condensed amount of time. And I was never going to be able to attend the capstone course of this leadership minor, which you had to take last. And so that is what serendipitously puts me in a position to go to the school ask for some sort of favor or i don't know make the class harder like how how do we work this out they didn't have any answers and so i went to the professor who was teaching it who's uh dr karen miller who i think uh, you know we've talked about in the past and i tell her my story and you know she didn't tell me what she said to the school until like you know eight or nine years later but She really went to bat for me and basically created an independent study for this final course where I would take the course with her one-on-one. Let's go. Yeah, let's go, right? And it was intense. You know, I've never, there's no place to hide, right? Just someone looking you in the face, like talking to you about the course materials. And it was a sweet deal, man. She she taught the course to me one-on-one. I had to bring her a California burrito every time. That was part of the deal. Uh, I could stomach the $4.50 for that. Uh, And, you know, so then all this is a long story, but I think it's important to share. So, you know, my left foot is on the field trying to drive leadership in what I would perceive as a consequential environment. You know, uh, I'm a civilian. I'm not at war or whatever, but you got 30 other guys who perceive that they're on this planet to be the best baseball players in the world and to win a national championship. That's our, our reason for being, and that's really fucking difficult and vulnerable and the whole thing. And then my right foot is in this academic conversation, which is in my opinion, the most timely conversation about adult development group dynamics. And this is largely what I teach now. So as we've, fast forward dr miller ends up going on to harvard working with bob Keegan, you know coaching the best in the world at developmental organizations you know ray dalio's organization bridgewater it, insane right yeah elite groups yeah elite man and um and so you know to be honest i wasn't that talented of a baseball player and i'm not that talented of an, of an academic but maybe having one foot in the arena and the other foot in this theoretical world has put me in somewhat of a primed position to do what you said at the outset of this podcast, which is to communicate some of these things in a way that maybe my team and other teams around the world can relate to. And so these are the seeds of what Deuce is. In my opinion, Deuce is a case study It's a way to practice these principles, and um, I I think it makes for an interesting outcome. You know, I don't claim to think that we're the you know the best gym in the world, or I'm the best leader in in the world necessarily. But it is an interesting advantage to start from that point of view rather than how most gyms start, which is someone is just so obsessed with muscles that they start a gym and then they attract other people with that interest. And that's sort of the end of the story.
0: Yeah, but that's, uh, I mean, there's so much to unpack in that in general where, again, like the ability to articulate or bring like be like the prometheus i keep using this example on the podcast now like bring fire from the sports world and the academic world and creating this message that people can digest i like i think that's where like there's so much leverage and the ability to articulate and communicate and obviously i think you do that beautifully um and all your businesses that you got going on where it's whether it's consulting coaching but the the one of the coolest things i saw at Deuce was the um I'm going to probably articulate it wrong, but the the coaches' school inside of Deuce where one. It's yeah. like a you have to earn the right to coach there in general. No promises. You have to pay pay your dues, and it might not work out. And then on top of that, these coaches are constantly getting refined. There's not play. There's the environment's not built for complacency. Yeah. And I think those structures, like uh, I, I hope you can uh, obviously make that sound better from what I just tried to say, but in that realm can the because one of the coolest things because like, i was talking to caroline and like a lot of people at, at the gym and where you have them coaching and you take away one of their communication abilities whether it was uh i think it was like hand movements or take away their voice and they still have to coach and you start to get again solving problems and create the art of coaching where you don't know what your weakness is until again, something's exposed. And I think that's really cool. But, um, yeah. as, so, so yeah, if you want to a
1: hundred percent, yeah. So, so what you're speaking about is, uh, let me take one step back. So it's, it's clear to us in the organization, if we use deuce as, as the organization we're talking about right now, uh, we have two bottom lines. One is, uh, making profits, revenue, selling fitness. That's yeah. one of the, uh, that's one of the ways that we're in business. And then the other one, which is the rarer one, is that with as much weight and intentionality, one of our bottom lines is the development of those inside of the organization. Meaning to the same rigor and standards that we would be like, hey, you know, we can't make less money in 2023 than we did in 2022. Uh, we can't um not evolve our edges i mean speaking to the 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 podcast that you you have here it's like we need to be um knowledgeable hunt out what our capacity edges are some of them are technical from a coaching perspective most of them are are not technical they're they're more adaptive from a leadership perspective from a human being perspective and that's a whole rabbit hole, I think we can go down here in a second. Um, and not only do we need to know what those edges are, it's sort of shared knowledge and shared wisdom in the organization, what those are for each other. And then we have to exchange the type of information that would allow the growth of those edges. Mm. And you know, what's what's weird about this is when you become like an, an adult in the air quotes real world, it gets I observe that things become less and less explicit uh, when compared to like the sports world, or I don't really know much about the military, but my friends who are in that uh, community seem to articulate similar group dynamics where the mission is so profound and potentially consequential that best practices emerge despite the discomfort of those practices. Meaning like, mm. I'm sure you've been in a huddle sometime where someone was like, Pete, I need you to hit your mark and I need you to get there now. And I need to do that better immediately. Right. In yeah. some other language than that, a couple F bombs, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Okay. People don't speak to each other directly in the real world. It's rare and it's low performance as fuck. Right. And so we need to create this environment explicitly, which says, Hey, you know, um I mean shit, I'll ask a question right now that I've asked in 12 different countries around the world. Who here in this room is here because they want to be better, more evolved, further along, capable of more uh elevated, etc. And everybody's hand goes up. Now, the type of information that you need to specifically accomplish that goal of evolution development Edge work, etc., is, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this. People have heard me on other podcasts are immediately rolling their eyes because it the that type of information is disconfirming by nature,
0: mm.
1: right? I, okay, so I I'll, I'll use you in as as an example just to to make this clear, make this more explicit. Is if you know we had some sort of technology, you know, maybe Elon develops it or whatever that, or I could just download your consciousness and then I would like print it out. That'd be a waste of a lot of paper, but it'd be a lot of paper. I could print out everything that you believe and perceive and know to be true. And then I just sat here and read that back to you. You would leave this, this conversation exactly the same as you are. Right. However, If I could share information with you that was disconfirming to your perspective, and this is sort of negative in nature, unfortunately, because that would then challenge your perceptions, your belief systems, and potentially grow your edges. So when you raise your hand and say that you want to be better, further along, evolved, bigger, of greater capacity, whatever, what you're inadvertently saying is that you need and want disconfirming information specifically negative feedback now the whole game then becomes if you want to make a system that gets better over time by its own nature you need to set the parameters such that it that organization can exchange the best information possible to do that which is negative negative information n- Negative information. that's yeah. it
0: yeah which is awesome yeah it's dynamite and it like it because like obviously confirmation bias massively real thing but like when you break you start to break down some of the the nuances of that where it's like like i say i try and say it a simpler way sometimes like when we set goals you're like very descriptively saying that you're not where you want to be and do you have the systems usually that just identifies flaws in the system Like I'm not taking the right steps to close this gap between where I am, where I want to be, but there's so much more in that gap that's really happening where it's okay. What personal narrative am I following? That's, that's flawed. And then where am I, where do I lack efficiency? And like Mm -hmm. the efficiency is like, for me is usually either communication to myself, communication to others, or the absorption of communication from a, not a higher power, but like a higher knowledge base or conscious base, which again, uh, is, I, I think what you're articulating in, in the sense that, but like the fact that it is negative, and I, I view it in the in the realm of poison, where regardless, if you're going to choose negative information, which is uh, eventually going to be a, a good positive feedback loop in the long term, like if mm-hmm. you basically choose the poison of suffering for this higher goal. Like if you choose not to suffer, that's also a different version of poison. And that's one of like Dr. Peterson's bits that I've adopted in the sense where it's just like, you don't, you don't, you get to choose, but regardless, you're going to take some poison.
1: Totally. You mentioned the the higher power thing. And I just want to acknowledge that. So one of the challenges of, of what I just said is, is um, inside of the complexity of group dynamics like being in groups is hard oh, you know it, it it kind of works at the highest level of sport and and military and sometimes you see it in like really mission driven startups but humans are so different that it's very difficult to work together in close proximity i mean it it's a real challenge you know you, you could bring anybody on this podcast from any company and they would be like oh, dude these meetings, bro, you know, and, yeah. and what is that about? It's because it's so difficult for people with different perspectives to get together and be with each other, let alone accomplish something together. Right now, that's the downside. The upside is and this is the crux of like the human experience and not to get like so deep, so quick in this conversation, but we cannot see ourselves. You know, I I perceive you, Brian, as a very self aware individual. Very, and you cannot see yourself with perfect clarity. You have uh, uh, many filters in which you see yourself. Same is true for me. Yeah, and so, agree. yeah. And we can we can use the upside of group dynamics to increase the clarity of our vision of self right if if self awareness is the key know thyself is the key to this whole trip then you'd think you'd want to take advantage of all the mirrors around you to get a better look right and um you know if i'm just evaluating how I show up on on podcasts, like from my own perspective, I think sometimes I live in the clouds a ton and people maybe listen. They're like, wow, that was like two smart people talking. And I don't really know what to do with that, but something important was said. So let's like come down to earth really quick. So there's a, a framework that I like to share that I think people will never forget. And it's really helpful that is really timely right now in this conversation. And it dovetails into this like higher power thing you said, you said earlier so so if we're trying to uh receive the truth the truth is the best information to make decisions on right okay guarantee. now and now if we start from the premise that our perception of the world is never the truth it's like some piece of it or it's a our skewed view of it then it seems as though we should be on a war path to develop better perspective to get a closer look at the truth. And one of the frameworks that I love to roll out to any individual and especially group is the five perceptual positions, right? I don't know if you've heard me mention this or whatever, but um, there are five basic perceptual positions and it's really helpful to roll this out in a team Because once I tell you this, you can't unknow it. And it provides this lubricated language to have hard conversations. Okay, so the first perceptual position is that of self. So right now, you're experiencing this conversation from likely the first perceptual position. That's where I'm spending a lot of my time during this conversation. And it's really easy because it's you looking out of your own two eyes, which, by the way, is filtering billions of bits of information a second, deleting, omitting, rationalizing, combining, making meaning out of things that aren't necessarily true, but it's your your lens. The trouble is when you spend all your time there. Okay, so the second perceptual position is that of other. Now, I wouldn't be an expert in it, but I could try to start taking on your perceptual position of this conversation. And this skill of putting yourself in someone else's shoes is much harder than we've ever really given credit to, because it's not just like, oh, what would it look like to be sitting in your chair, wearing your hoodie, looking at me? It's more like, could I imagine how I would perceive this if I grew up where you grew up? If I live the life that you lived, if I valued the same things that you valued, right? If I had the experiences that you had, all of that, if I was exactly as hungry or as tired, as frustrated, or as inspired as you were right now, that's the second perceptual position. The third perceptual position is that of the observer, which is sort of like, if you could symbolically observe this interaction from like over there. And when I say over there, I just mean not here, kind of like behind a pane of glass, no emotion. You don't even really know who you are or who you, who I am. Just like, oh, those are two dudes. That makes sense. This person's saying this. Uh, he's nodding. A perspective that is not really emotionally invested in either side. The fourth perceptual position is that of the group, which is really helpful in teams and companies, right? Which is like, If there's a disagreement or a negotiation happening inside of Deuce between teammates, could they detach their consciousness from themselves and place their awareness in this theoretical consciousness of Deuce? Like, what does, I don't know, maybe it's a she, what does she (laughs) value, want, what does Deuce fear, what's important to Deuce, what does Deuce need, etc.? And then the fifth perceptual position, getting back to what you said, is articulated in different ways, but it's sort of source or the best version of ourselves or a higher power. And this is sort of like a lens that from above can see through all the other lenses as well. Now, when you look at any sort of moment in time or interaction and you can toggle through all five, now you're sort of aggregating a truer truth about the moment than if you're just living in your own perceptual position, right? And it's a simple framework. But the premise of like, why I'm sharing that and why that matters to us in an organization that claims to be developmental is, well, if all work is practice, rather than a performance, if all work is practice to find and grow your edges, then we're trying to just gather as much information possible to develop ourselves, right? To, to understand those edges. And if you go through life, just trying to self-evaluate all the time, you're probably missing a ton, you know? And so you need people, you need to bounce off of other people, do hard work together and see in the areas of your life that you are incompetent or start to get squirrely and weird, or dishonest, or shady, or or reactionary, or defensive, right? And now the
0: work becomes the the thing that teaches us who we are. Yeah, that's a you said a couple of cool things there. One, like one, just the the approach to these again these five positions, I think is is powerful in in and of itself. Because I've had this conversation a little bit before, where like more we'll go back into the athlete lens. So I'm the athlete, but I'm working with four different people outside the organization, the PTs and the strength coach in the organization, and they're kind of all communicating, but they're all not speaking the same language. So establishing a universal language in particular, like the assessment of my physical skills, muscle recovery, X, Y, and Z, should be paramount. And it sounds like you're trying to translate the same concept of at least getting everybody speaking the same, I think you said lubricated language or something like that, where like, that makes sense to because like, with the difference in human perspective already, like, I, I like the stumbling upon happiness book where they articulate where like me and you can't even talk about happiness the same because our whole where I grew up and where you grew up and our life experience. So we're really just speaking about happiness on different scales from different perspectives. So if you demystify that, it makes more sense to okay, what's my perspective? What's their perspective? You're just adding more information to make a more accurate um view of reality. And 100%. then you, and then you even broke down like the like what's really going on in our mind. Like our brain, our brain's really mil- built for again movement, like vision and movement and staying alive. Outside of that, it's not meant for like all this higher consciousness, emotional IQ wanting, needing, reaching that that whole side of life. So I think the more people can understand that like reality is not even reality, like our vision and what we're actually seeing is on a point two five second delay anyway. So we're really yeah. just seeing a, a delayed loop of reality too, right. which I think's funny. But the stepping, like again, just to kind of go through this, the stepping into other people's shoes, obviously I think beneficial without having to go higher articulation on that. But now when you start talking about the observer, I really like that world. Just because one it takes you out of your own perspective, and I think the frequency of that needs to increase, and a lot of humans, myself included in that realm because like I, it's kind of like everything in the world's out of sight, out of mind, like like the sick kids in Africa or wherever, like all these things are really bad things are happening, but out of sight, out of mind. but and and intentionally, as a human, like your purpose, your faith, like things that like can drift to failure, drift out of uh you're like into the peripheral i think is really powerful like that's why the, the i really really like the back three portion of uh the five five positions because that's where i think is a separator and a team dynamic and i think it's in mistake unmistakable yeah
1: it's it's all an effort to move towards objectivity you know mm. and this is a, a rabbit hole that we can go down quite deeply and i do want to come back to the the developmental arc at deuce just to, to give some scaffolding as to like, well, what does this look like in real life? Um, but objectivity, you know, like our, our, our awareness is subject. So the opposite of objectivity is subjectivity. Our experience is subject to many things that are outside of our view to your point. You're just talking about, Oh, I like the bottom three because those, Those three pieces of awareness are very rare for us to spend time in, right? I even talk about, you know, anybody who's meditated ever. It's like, regardless of your style of meditation, what is meditation? It's actually a moment of observing the observer. It's like, you've been you observing life through your own lens this whole time. And meditation is like, well, can I observe me? And what is that? It's it's sort of like metaphorical space. It's like distance from your own subjectivity. So you can s- see things maybe more as they are, you know? And so as we come down to like our work, since work is a major source of like meaning for people, then what better and ripe environment to grow this sort of clarity and objectivity around our own development, you know? So, this is all pretty high level but at Deuce we're we're trying to mechanically do this and it's definitely not easy you know I got to be careful cuz sometimes I talk about this in a way that's like oh there you know because we have a model here therefore it is a slam dunk you know like I like to say uh you know knowing any of the things that you talk about on your podcast you know all the brilliant concepts and ideas doesn't make it easier necessarily because hard is hard yeah you know like it, knowing what it's like to you know do hard work doesn't make that difficulty go away once you're there you know 20 rep max back squats feels the same whether you're an expert on what that is or not you know yeah. it's fucking dog shit
0: yeah guaranteed.
1: that's the point now so how do we do that well Um, there's this rite of passage. So again, we're in the real world now with adults, allegedly. uh, And it gets harder, in my opinion, when someone's life isn't on the line or some sort of championship isn't on the line. You know, this like, ever since you were seven years old, you wanted to win this thing. That's a lot of meaning. Like people are willing to, to do a lot of intense shit when you care that much. But when it's just work, And I say just work, you know, just a paycheck, just a career. I think we can lose some of that sort of like edgy fuel. Okay. So I just find that we need to make things a little bit more explicit. And I say that because you're going to recognize all of the principles that are inside of Deuce largely implicitly in your, let's say, football career. Right. So first and foremost, I observe, we observe that The best teams in the world generally have some sort of rite of passage and a rite of passage is a period that either, and this is my view, filters for and or develops certain attributes. Okay. And so our rite of passage happens to be coaches prep. It's the thing you mentioned earlier. So it's like, hey, I want to work at your gym. It's like, you know, it looks cool or whatever the story is. Okay there's good news and bad news. The good news is I think it is cool. And I think, you know, you can make like a living here and you can do stuff that you can't do at other gyms. The bad news is this is going to be hard. You know, you could probably make money faster anywhere else in the world uh, because we have this rite of passage coaches prep. And essentially to distill it down, it's just going to take longer. It's going to be not as physical, but let's say physically and emotionally challenging. And it's going to, either uh, develop in you or reveal to us that you have two qualities that I think are critical to high-performing teams, and that is unique levels of trust and willingness. Okay, so people who make it through this rite of passage either already had it or by going through the process will have it on the back end, which is more mutual trust in the team and a higher level of willingness than is normal, right? So there are certain, you know, you've been in locker rooms where you look across the room and you're like, I didn't grow up where that dude grew up. I don't necessarily, we don't even necessarily like each other, but there's a thing that connects us. That means I trust him and he trusts me and I'm willing to work harder, go to my edge, do more difficult shit. And so is he because of us being in this locker room. And it's mostly implicit in, in that world because it's like, you don't really think about and see like the recruiting process, the draft process. In the back of your mind, there's this like cutthroat, you can be released in any day thing. But those are the implicit things that make what I just said true. For us, it's more like mapped out. Okay, you got to go through this long ass grueling thing. And on the back end, you're in a room of people that also went through that. Right now, why do we need trust and willingness? Well, because we're trying to build this culture of truth that grows by its own nature. Right. Like if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, do still gets better every day because of how it's built, not because of I'm cracking some sort of whip. That's not even how it works. Right. So when you have unique levels of trust and willingness, you can go to your edge Not where you perform great, but where it's a little bit sketchy and you can try your very best effort. Now, what's interesting about that is that's how we grow. And that's also how you perform the best. Now, if you don't create that, it's interesting to think about this from the reverse. If you don't create an environment where it's worth it to go to your edge and try your best, it's crazy what's true. What's true is you've built a team where it's impossible to perform your best because no one's willing to make these fringe level efforts. And then when you're trying to win a Super Bowl or do something epic, you know that you just can't do cool shit like that if you're not willing to go to that edge, right? And so yeah. so this is the the reason for for coaches coaches prep. And now what what comes out of the back end of this culture of truth is adaptation if you go to your edge this is like even in weight training like if you go to your edge of your ability changes happen well if you go to the edge of your conscious ability changes happen you know and so um we find that adaptation is possible in this environment with trust and willingness and then also people are ready willing and able to be accountable to the results which is our definition of leadership to be in leadership is to be accountable to the results now um that can't end. This is the last thing I'll say. I know I'm on like a little tangent here. No, I love that it. can't that can't end because <clears throat> rites of passage are great. But let's let's look at a common fault here. Lots of organizations, and we can come up with different examples, have intense rites of passages, which is great, good, positive intent. But if the development does not continue thereafter, it becomes actually quite toxic. That's um you know, the nickname for it is the good old boys club. Mm. Right. So there's certain fire departments, certain police departments, certain um organizations where it's really hard to get in. But once you're once you're in, you can't really be fucked with. Right. And then you're like you know, 100 pounds overweight, and you can't actually arrest anybody. And now you can't get fired. And that's actually a really low performance version of what we all espouse to be about, right, in this department, for example. Um, But if you look at the best teams in the world, I, you know, I, I was, I don't even know anything about football, I was never on any of your teams, but I would imagine that if you can't do your job today, you can get the fuck out immediately. Thank you very much. Right. Like, I don't yeah. give a shit what you did in your combine five years ago or whatever. Right. It's like, can you win this play? Yes or no. And if it, the answer is no, thanks. Get the fuck out. Yeah, very guaranteed. simple. And you know, I, again, very, been a very civilian, hundred percent yeah. straightforward. Right. And I've never been, you know, I've always been a civilian, like I said, you know, but uh, allegedly, you know, the day you get your trident is like, Fucking day zero of becoming a Navy SEAL. You know, it's like every day is you have to get better. Like, if you don't get better, you don't get to play. Yeah. You know, and so that's how we do it in our own explicit, convoluted way. And I think the
0: principles are more important than the X's and O's of our strategy. Yeah. But I think you made a phenomenal point and you said it even before the rant, but, um, You like a lot of people treat work like practice. And how I view what you're doing and how I translate my athlete experience to the to the quote unquote real world again is, and I call it like the arena razor in my head, where again, like like all the work and everything and like your whole system and perspective, it's not gonna face enough stress to adapt fully or chase these edges in the realm if you don't put the product under the lights. And or get into this discomfort, uncertainty realm of performance, which is again, I think competition's incredibly vulnerable. Like somebody, you step, two guys step to the line. Who's the fastest on the team? Someone's going to win and somebody's going to lose, and that's the vulnerability, uncertainty, the fear, and everything that gets sparked there. If you lose, like it, like win or lose, it should motivate you, you know, because of the the lights, the bright lights effect, and that's in essence what it sounds to me like you're doing is you're pulling this potentially monotony of work and practice and you're creating a system where you're constantly putting people under the lights and it it sounds like again it sounds but i've also seen it in action where it sounds very efficient and also i love the um whatever the the not the cost of admission the price of admission the rite of passage idea and like what a again illuminating uh observation that like the good old boys club just so like i I never I, i could never like Explain why the drift to failure happened, but really, yeah, like, yeah, you reach this peak, and if there's no, again, and I know one of your your mottos is hold the standard. If there's no standard of performance, and I think sports has that built in because you have so many people trying to knock at the door of the NFL or the MLB, yeah. and you have a system built to keep a fire lit, and the standard is, is always going to be the standard, which is do your job and be better than the next guy. And you even said it earlier where. Cause I, like, I don't like comparing military either because it's a whole different value system, life and death. And then I started to break that down to sports. Like what's life and death in sports? Well, that's winning and losing. And then now you bring that to business, like, like what's life and death winning and losing to them. And if those standards aren't even visible, like besides like show up and do your, like do your job and do your job as in quotes, because like, what is the standard of your job? And if there's no, but like to your point, if there's no edges and there's no, discomfort points and friction points to cause growth like there's no way like stagnation's dying in my eyes too Where i i just think the 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 system you have in place to put these coaches under the lights to have them prove themselves and then for that to be eternal is an athletic model that i think obviously every system could be adopted but i'm not saying athletic model but like that's a high performance lifestyle to stay on the edge and stay you know, growing.
1: Yeah, the, it, it's a paradox, right? Like we can use yeah. a, a training example, you know? So when when you say performance and performance matters, you know, I, I agree with you. Like we got to win, you got to win the game. Yeah. You can't like use all this like colorful language and models and shit like that to excuse being 0 and 13 or whatever, it doesn't, yeah. you got to win. You got to find a way to win. The paradox though, is that performance is a yes and game. It's like yes you need to win and what are the what are the best practices to increase the chances of winning and that's all of the the practice relative side of the, of the game and so we can uh, the training example I wanted to use was um absolute intensity versus relative intensity mm. okay so so if if um I was going to use a running one but since we're um we're probably a little more allergic to running than, than most people. Well, let's just use a barbell thing, right? So, if you're a—I don't know what your deal is—if you're a five or six hundred pound squatter, let's say you're a six hundred pound squatter. Uh, you know, your absolute max is let's say six hundred pounds on the dot. Timmy comes in; uh, his absolute max is four hundred five. Okay. And so if we come in from a performance perspective and we say the task today is who can squat the most? Okay, Timmy puts four oh five on the bar and he the bar slows down. He's grinding through the sticking point, stands that baby up, racks it, PR 405. Most he's ever done. Right. Well, the task is who can squat the most. So you still got your slides on and you put four fifty on the on the bar and you do a single and you win. You win the absolute Intensity game, but from a relative intensity perspective, Timmy was revving at ninety nine and hundred percent, and you're at. We're not going to do public math, but you're at whatever that is, seventy percent. Right? Yeah. Okay. okay. So you won the game. Now the paradox of performance is how specifically do both you and Timmy improve performance? And it has nothing to do with absolute intensity and it has everything to do with training at relative intensity, right? It's like how many sets of five, uh, is he going to do at 80% and how many sets of five are you going to do at 80% of of your thing? Right. And so getting better is a, is an effort of relative intensity, you know, and so if you don't acknowledge that part of it, right, we can, we can extrapolate you and Timmy's arc. Out Like if you just go into the gym to beat Timmy every day and he's training at a relative intensity, he's his needles going to move and you're going to take all your wins and you're going to be the same guy or maybe even worse. Right. And so from a trajectory standpoint, maybe Timmy is on an improvement trajectory and you're not right In, in that example. So so it's this yes and thing like, can we hold both? intention, you know, and um there's this quote that that uh I share at the summit, man, that uh you know really glued the culture at the University of San Diego together so strong mm. because we were like a top 25 program mid-major school, you know, it's the kind of school where, you know, we'd go play Georgia and Texas and all these teams or whatever, but like your professors kind of don't really know we have a team kind of thing. It's like this yeah. weird, you know, you know, you're not like you're not like living the life, you know, but you're you're good at what you do. And um and we really overachieved with this this motto that I think articulates what I just said really well. It's this like divorce of process and results.
0: Hmm.
1: Right. And it um it goes like this, you know. Um it says, We will not accept in victory that which we wouldn't accept in defeat. Right. Yeah. And now you have this beautiful tension where you can sweep somebody, you can beat the absolute fuck out of somebody and coach kicks in the the door of the locker room and says, the fuck are we doing on the bases and this, that, and the other thing. And I get that that, and you're just getting ripped, ripped from a process perspective, right? Objectively, absolute intensity wise we scored more you know runs than the other team and we won but our if our process is not um executed with excellence then this is unacceptable here and the opposite can be true right you can lose you can take an l and come in and it's golf class like we execute, we won every single pitch. We, our process was dialed. We had our, our plan, we executed and we just got beat. And now you have an environment where it's this like anti front runner culture where it's like, we're We're so committed to mastering what we can control that we trust and, and back and support process over the outcome. Right. And, and that is the sweet spot. And I think we all want to, you know, bringing it back to like, deuce, for example, which is a business in a for-profit context in the real world with real adults is like, I think everyone wants to work at a place where you can try your very best and fail and it be okay. And that's what we got. You know what I mean? And if we can't master the X's and O's of the things that are in our control, I don't give a shit if we're the most successful gym and like, it's unacceptable.
0: Yeah. And that's a, and that's beautiful in the sense that like, even in the sports analogy of it and the, the deuce analogy of it is like, that's a universal language because like so much, like, I don't want to overgeneralize, but the, the problem with a lot of, we'll say workout programs is the fact that you can hand this program, science-based, like perfect program for general adaptation, periodization, whatever conjugate, whatever methods on the sheet, and you can hand it to a human and it's supposed to work in essence, Or but you hand it to 10, 20 different athletes of different sizes. Like they're all going to react differently to the program. Like that's not really universal language. You need to understand their efforts, their techniques, they're all these multivariable systems of life and performance in general. But that again that understanding of i'm not gonna be able to re redo the quote again but like the standard despite victory and then all you like and what i hear is outcome detachment is not letting the the outcome affect the process is like that's the universal language that can be and you articulate it beautifully and like it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or a business folk or whatever it ends up being, like you can understand the logic in that. And I think that's, that's freaking beautiful in the sense that like now, like now you can move forward once everybody's speaking that language.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's one of these things like, um, maybe it's not this simple, but I do think this is a side benefit is, um, it's a bit of a permission slip, you know, it's like people want to live in a world like that. I think a lot of what moves me through the world is, is trying to create things that I wish, like I wish this is how it was, you know? And I think that if I'm going to say something that maybe sounds self-focused or egotistical, and I I hope it can be heard as a generality, but, you know, I've had this observation and I, I can tell a story, maybe uh, if, if we have time that led me to believe this but you know human beings want to be led uh, and it breaks my fucking heart to say that man but like people want to be led tell me how it's going to be and when you tell them how it's going to be generally there's a relief oh shit okay cool i got to try hard and do my best okay thank god all right i got you roger you know but if it's left unsaid we get weird. We devolve into these weird you start side eye how's it going to be, and it's unclear, and behavior reflects this chaos, you know now that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, I think that you know I need to be the one doing the leading, but I think that that's true in any room. It's like we want to be led. and when you set the parameters in a group to where we're all aligned. On how things can and should be, you'd be surprised at how willing people are to, to do work, you know, to, to an effort unknown to mankind towards that that goal. You know?
0: No, that's electric, actually. Like I I haven't thought of it in that lens where like I like I'm trying to simplify it in my own logic just because the wheels are spinning, but like like a breathwork routine, like I'm phenomenal. Like when somebody's leading me through a breathwork thing, I can hold my breath longer because I'm not worried about the accountability of keeping the time and hitting the windows and transitioning into like a slower state or anything like that. Where like okay, but like the the idea of like you're talking uncertainty, uncertainty in that realm, and it's kind of like just like if you know the rules of the game, you can play. But like life has so many variables and freedoms and all those things that like the the weight of those is heavy. And if you know, like, at least somebody's leading from the front and caring, like, yeah, then I'll give extraordinary effort. And then I, I kind of just wanted to, because I think you articulated that really well. And it didn't come off as egotistical in any any generaliz- generalization, because I know that to be true in my own experience. But in your realm of people want to live in this world where you can try your hardest and fail, and that's okay, or that's even the standard, I think is really powerful in the sense that like everybody wants to be present. And like, we hear that enjoy the process and all these things. And but like, and in, at in the end of the day, a lot of people live in the past and have all these regrets. And like, that's where a lot of people live. And then there's fear of the future and uncertainty. And maybe you get led through that and life's easier. But besides the point, um, the idea of this relative effort that you're also talking about, I, I just say max effort in my head for that yeah. realm, but like it. Like And hopefully this transitions beautifully to your book, just because your the subtitle of your book is a logical justification for uh, pursuing your dreams. And so the logical justification in my head for giving max effort and staying in this red line of friction in my life is that looking back on my life and looking back on sport or any of my business ventures, like if I went as hard as I could and tried and made this magnificent effort and failed, like I didn't have regrets there. And that like addition by subtraction, like now, like where else can I, can I go max effort in this relationship? Can I go max effort on this next venture or this workout routine, whatever, because if I have to look back and say, was I trying, did I try, as hard? did I ask all the, did I do all these things? And I know I didn't that all my regrets stack up there because now like I can, I can never go back and change my NFL career where I should have done X, Y, and Z, you know, like whatever it ends up being. But like, I think that aligns in the sense where like, that is very logical to me to pursue a level of relative suffer or relative uh what's the, what was your phrasing shit um, intensity relative uh, relative intensity, intensity. Yeah. yeah and like and again you're going to you're going to you're going to take the poison one way or the other i'd rather suffer and strive and reach than like sit back and again check the box Check into work and regress, and in, in whatever sense you want to, because that's poison too. Stay, sitting on the couch is poison versus going to work out.
1: And- yeah. And yeah, it's built in there pretty beautifully. You know, I think we were lucky to have sport, which is a finite game. You know, life is an infinite game, but, but sport, you know, puts these horizons out there. Sport creates a very clear gap between where you wish, you know, All right, you're two for four. I mean, there's obviously two at bats there that you, you know, you wish were different. So there's a built in gap all the time. You know, all the time there's these imperfections that are sort of clearly articulated to you that provide this sort of space to take responsibility and, and traverse and, and push and, and go to these edges. You know, so I've always said, and this kind of like dovetails into the book, it's like, it really doesn't matter what it is. You know, I haven't played a single down of football in my life. I don't even know what what's what in the thing. However, I I know for certain, and, you know, I'm cheating a little bit because we've had a few dinners together or whatever, but I know that you you've learned things that I've also learned through that vehicle, you know, and all you really need is something to give enough of a fuck about to introduce you to your edges. That's it, you know? And, and if the thing that you care enough about, um, you know, I should say it different. If you care enough about something, right, you will go to your current edge in pursuit of that. And you'll have to overcome that to, to get to the next level, you know? And so, it's a coincidence that at age whatever six i like started to care about this like atrocious sport baseball you know whatever yeah. okay it's just like, it doesn't matter it could have been fucking boogie boarding or rock climbing or anything playing yeah. the guitar right but like you know life is real tough if you don't have a sort of um a feedback loop presented to you, you know, and this gets into a little bit of the, the, the book as well. It's like, we know that adversity and this disconfirming information grows us. Right. We know that, but if you're moving through life, only leveling up every time you get cancer, or there's a financial crisis, or your house burns down, there's no agency in that. I mean, life will definitely grow you up on its own terms. But, you know, I mean, you, you know, the, the, the science around um, our psychology, right? It's like, if you're a victim to your environment, there's no agent, by definition, there's no agency in that. And you cannot be happy in an environment that you perceive you have no control over. That's the state of victimhood. Yep. You know, and there's so much utility in having agency, meaning like a, a sense of control over something, anything. Yeah. Right? Understanding
0: the, of your capability.
1: Yeah. To the point. To the to the point of, you know, even you go down the dark path of like a Viktor Frankl scenario or a prisoner of war scenario you know, I tell this, this story in the summit, I'm like, why is it that prisoners of war uh, go on hunger strikes? It doesn't make any sense. You're you're being tortured in horrible conditions, basically uh, led to your own death, and you're going to refuse food? I mean, it's like a core, it seems like you're expediting your own demise. And it's not about nutrition, man. It's about agency. It's being able to, to make a choice. No, I won't eat that. Thank you. Now I have some autonomy, right? And it's a dark example, but when you when you are a player in your own game, there's agency is is leadership. It's sort of being responsible for this, this space between where you are and where you wish to be. It's it's taking it's saying I'm missing the standard, yet I am responsible for that. Distance between where I am and the and the standard, right? And uh, and now to bring the agency conversation into development, it's like, yeah, if you are moving through life being
0: developed on
1: life's terms, yeah, someone's unin- got to break up,
0: un- yeah, unintentional growth, yeah, that's right. It's great. It's gonna I'm it's sure. gonna have it's gonna happen. Yeah, if you'll have the- some
1: stories. Someone will break up with you. You you crash your car. You'll you you know you'll lose a leg or whatever goes on. Or you can take the principles of growth and and inject them into how you do every day. And now who's in charge of your development? You are, right? You are pursuing this on purpose, right? And I think that's just a much more fulfilling way to navigate life, you know?
0: Yeah, and that's, uh, and you, obviously, you are very articulate in general, but the book is just magnificent and the fact of like making the logical Push to again, like strive past and like what, like, I don't know. I, I think everybody in the whole world needs to just like, again, figure out what they want and go after it. And like plan B and like survival and all those kind of things, like your base responsibilities or as keep that in your like rear view in the essence or like in, in your peripheral. But I just think the, the push to, and I push people to be entrepreneurs. I push people, um, again, to try just do things and stay curious, but like the book embodies that in a very logical sense. And I I think I said it before the podcast, but like, I'm, I was always like, I had the purpose in sport, but now transitioning, like I had to, again, find my new system, find my new purpose, find all those things. And obviously I found your book at that time too, where it was kind of perfect timing where I didn't understand that. Okay. I no longer have this relationship with a previous purpose i need to again develop a new one and also again create my own logic and reasoning to make that purpose stick and find a standard for that new purpose and if mine was and it was end up being the same thing from sports into the next level of life It's like i just want to grow in general mm-hmm. but if i like i was always growing towards that that dream And there's no difference from the football dream to like my next dream of the life I want to live and the job and people I want to be around and speak to constantly and those kind of things where um, I just didn't realize how much of a little like fire and gasoline concept that was. And so anyways, uh, for those of you listening, the book is called Going Right. And I also think that makes it really clear cut where in the world of mental skills and psychology, and again, multivariable systems, like the more you can make things tangible, objective and binary where it's like, am I going right or am I going left? And like, that's how part of what I took where like now I can take that into every decision point of like, am I taking the easy way out? Am I under friction? Am I comfortable or am I uncomfortable? Like that makes it really just clear cut. And that's where I think you and your book just are monsters.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I think that um, there's a lot of resistance to what the book would call, you know, taking on this going right decision making, Um, because I think people really, and it's articulated in the book, but people perceive these these decisions about what to do with our lives uh, as a very weighty decision. And uh, yeah, it is like, you know, as far as we know, we got one life to live. So is it like, what's my thing is a lot of what goes through people's head. You know, I don't have a football, I don't have a baseball thing, therefore, what is my thing? And I think that, um, you know, not to go through the whole book, I'll, I'll do like just a quick thing with the book Um, and it's a spoiler alert, so I don't like to do it this way, but you know, but fuck it. The book's been out for a while. So I can, yeah. yeah, I can tell when people have started the book, but not finished it because they'll come up to me and be like, dude, that walk off in the beginning is so sick. Like what? Like epic moment. And what they're referencing is the book opens with sort of the pinnacle moment. in My baseball career was this at bat, you know, in the, uh, 2007 ncaa regional it's like we're down by three runners on second and third and and you know i basically spent 20 years ever since i was a kid i would go in the backyard and i would put a ball on the tee away fastball away was the most common pitch to get in baseball no one's real favorite pitch but most common pitch to get and i really i took a million swings ever since i was 10 years old or nine years old staying inside the ball away, letting it get deep into my stance, whatever. This is like a small detail, but long story short, I've been obsessed with this pitch because I knew it'd be the most common pitch to get in my life, you know? And, uh, you know, you put in 20 years of work or whatever, and then I'm in this scenario and like, you know, the game's on ESPN, sold out crowd. It's a massive moment. If we, if we can't produce my, 29 brothers our season's over like the whole thing it's a feels like a weighty moment and it's really broken down to mastering the moment you know i'm trying to see this picture and and increase my chances of success and do the impossible which is like hit this freaking you know baseball you know and um and it's this classic flow state moment time slows down I'm coming in with a specific job, which is to hunt a specific pitch in a specific place, which is a fastball away, to put a good swing on it, something I've practiced for 20 years, to hope for the best success, to like do this crazy thing. And long story short, I get a pitch in the most consequential moment in my career. It's a fastball away. I've prepared my entire life for this moment. I put a perfect swing on a pitch that I've been practicing since I was nine years old and backspin a ball 400 feet for a home run. And I, I I don't even uh, remember the, the feeling as anything other than heaven. You know, it was just like this, I get goosebumps just, just talking about it, you know, and, and yada, 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 it's this whole mapped out thing that makes me want to cry and it's a really beautiful start to the book. The end of the book, however, brings clarity to that moment, which is that tied the game. We moshed at home plate. It was epic. We go in. The next guy hits a 3,000 hopper to the third baseman for out number three. Ten minutes later, they come up and end the game on three hits, and it never mattered. It didn't mean anything on paper. Yeah. Yeah. 20 minutes later, the best moment of my baseball career that I devoted so much sacrifice in my life to specifically amounted to nothing in theory. And yeah. I'm waving my hand being like, no, 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 not nothing. I'm a fucking savage. in every other point of my life because of what I had to do to prepare for that moment. So it actually doesn't matter. It's find something, let it fuck you up, go down the rabbit hole of excellence. And it doesn't even matter if it works out because the vehicle of like taking you to the next level is the, the whole point.
0: Yeah. You know? And and I, and I think you like throughout the whole book and obviously at the end of it too, sorry for spoiling your book, but everybody should still <laughs> read it because the, the intricacies in there are awesome because you're also identifying like who you're really fighting in the process. And, and some of that is the perspective on the outcome and again, like, like even like the spilled milk portion and all, like, we're not going to go through the whole book in that, in that sense, but like understanding what the wins and losses mean, what the, like, what the process really looks like and why you should fall in love with it. And again, not like, again, it's not going to work out every time, e- even though 20 years led up to this point of savagery, <laughs> and like, like now you get the influence of a game and an environment and really like, again, where. I think the most powerful thing is in that, in that same perspective that you just articulated that it doesn't, it doesn't matter, but it's fucking worth it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and you need, you can't,
1: there's no reality where I could do the type of development in any esoteric type of way at the longevity and the intensity and the depth and like introduce the the lessons and the hardships in any convoluted way without, like a vehicle for it, like thank God that someone went out there and painted lines on a football field to make sense of all the shit that you were practicing out there yeah to to get on the back end of it, which is like those are the details, and here's the ten thousand foot view that's gonna set me up to be a better individual in relationships and business and at uh, one million other things, you know it's like you just need a a vehicle, you know, like go f- fucking start pottery who who gives a shit, what it is yeah.
0: Yeah. And again, the outcome doesn't matter as long as like you enjoy the drive or like, or you're keeping the car maintained and souping it up. <laughs> totally. Or just drive the car so fucking fast
1: that if you make an error, you're going to like total it and like nearly die. Right. And it's like, that is the type of flow oriented focus that teaches you best practices, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's like, uh, that's funny that it just correlates to, because I, I just read uh, Jim quick's book to the um uh shit. What's the name of it? Um, but we talk. It talks about speed reading, and oh, there cool. it's a uh, limitless. And um, in that realm, like I'm, a, I was a slow reader for the longest time, and like but I, and I thought that was because I was digesting the book and those kind of things. When really, in reality, like you want to live on this, like you're almost reading too fast because mm-hmm. that's how you truly absorb and get into like the in in essence, like the the power and magic of the tool of being limitless is like living on this friction point of life where it's just like your brain can do a lot more than you think it can. And like, I think that what you illustrate in the book too, is your potential is more than you think it is. And we get stuck on this pace of life that is just like, okay, next rung of the ladder. Okay. Am I safe next rung on the ladder? Am I safe? When really like I've spent 33 years reading at this speed because i thought i was doing the right thing when real in reality i didn't know i had the leverage point and understanding that no like like i've embodied being driving fast in other areas of my life but i can do that and again reading painting whatever it ends up being like i did a bob ross painting the other day in 45 <laughs> minutes and like <laughs> yeah. and but that was fucking awesome and i exceeded my expectations and i'm like now nah, nice. i want to do it, like, all that thing but like I think the tempo and speed and process of your life can always be fall into this this realm of objectivity again. And can I manipulate it and keep friction? But yeah. I think but I think the the driving analogy, and obviously I just read the speed reading analogy and it and I've already upped my like reading like a hundred words in, in a minute <laughs> in, in the right. in the category. And so I just think again, the logical justifications that you make as a human and in the book, I just I think are um medicine for anybody that's looking to enhance their their structure standards team leadership etc
1: yeah thanks man i appreciate it it's, yeah it's dude, I'm,
0: I, yeah i'm hype. yeah you, you're one of my favorite humans to talk to in that realm and then uh I if people watching, i got the book in front of me too this is the going right book whenever you find it on there online is. yeah um uh yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up since we've been ripping for a second but uh usually how we wrap it up now is uh what's the best advice you've gotten or that you can give Again, I know a lot of what we talked about is advice and perspective on life, but, uh, if something rings true.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll offer something that, um, has been a massive source of my growth of the last few years. I, I hit a real rough patch mental health wise and, you know, um, experiencing lows that seemed confusing and unfamiliar to me as someone who never, you know, uh, felt depressed or negative or down or whatever. And um, this speaks to, I think, general self-awareness. You know, for a long time, I was very unaware of the shadow sides of strength. So, so here's the advice is all of our strengths, you know, you can maybe think about the things that you really enjoy and love about yourself, these principled kind of values, et cetera they all cast a shadow as well. So this is the more sort of um, all-encompassing view of what could be a limited view, right? So I would look at something like a blue-collar work ethic as only a strength. Like, what could possibly be bad about that, right? And, you know, if you think hard enough about it, you know, it's pretty clear that, that there are... Um, other sides to these coins that we can perceive as strengths. So if you are moving about your life with the assumption that your strengths don't have shadows, then you're likely um, living with these things in your blind spots that can really hurt you later, right? Things kind of work until they don't. So the moment that I sort of acknowledge that the things that I really leaned on hardest that I really loved most about myself do have shadows and do have downsides to them, right. To the point where you can get yourself into a place where you um, yeah, you, you, you're in like a a hole or, you know, a depressive state or uh, in a way that um, you know, ends relationships and just, you know, the darker side of what seems like only positive parts of you, you know, and so I leaned really heavily on, you know, my perception that, like, oh, I'm not necessarily talented at anything, but I'm just down to work harder to win than everybody else. Therefore, like, that's my go to, you know, and, and then, You can get a few years down the road and literally have no idea what you enjoy, what you um, prefer, what things um, you need to like recover or whatever the case may be. Right. And so I would just invite anyone listening to have a self inventory and just play the game of like the best parts of me have shadows. And if I don't know what they are, I got to really uncover what they are because they're there. Mm hmm you know, and um, yeah, so it's been an interesting process of like, learning myself, again, in a lot of ways, you know, Um, i still struggle, but, you know, I got to figure out what what makes me tick, you know, what what do I enjoy? What's fun? Because I was out there trying to win, win the game, so to speak, to the level that sort of lost myself,
0: and that's no, the truth. I, well, and that's and that's awesome because I relate pretty heavily with that, and, I, and I've experienced some of that over the last couple of years for myself as well. And I, I just, like, I didn't know how to get out of it because, again, like like the old things that used to make me happy don't didn't make me happy, and yep. or I, or I didn't or I wasn't even available to to them anymore, a locker room or yep. like a like a game that that high or that a physiology or whatever it ends up being but I do think that's uh and like, but like the, the sit, you, but you provided advice and a system in there where it's like, we always have to evaluate that inventory and we always eventually have to prioritize it. And like, so I, I went through a phase where I was like scheduling life first and everything else was falling. And like, so like, or life, but by like things that were new or exciting. And then, then hopefully that spin me out. It didn't really spin me out of it at the time, but I, I still pulled some of the practice and, and applied it. But the, the trap there um, that I've felt and I've had to coach through a few times is like the Icarus paradox is what I've been calling it is where like, what got you there doesn't keep you there. And then when all these variables change, when you again, when the workhorse was the reason you got there, but the racehorse is what's keeping you there, you need to spend time Again, being this racehorse that can show up once a week or show up on presentation day or lifting day. And yeah, I, I the only thing I knew was being a workhorse and like that, like that I think that hurt me. And while I was still playing, like that's all I knew was work capacity when really I needed to fine-tune my racehorse. But I yeah. I I I just think that one that the 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 fact that you shared that's really cool, but two, the uh, the medicine that it is the, to open your, not medicine, but the awareness to open your eyes to that when you are already, like you've already evolved through a bunch of levels. And this is just a new devil on the level in that realm where it's like, okay, like, okay, I need, I, there's always going to be problems to solve. And the, like some of the high performers I've coached, like they can have a hundred million dollars in the bank and they're like, they're still so- solving a lot of problems. For and, sure and respecting that and hearing other people going through it I, and keeping a good tribe, obviously I think is all part of the deal too. But, um, dude, that was, yeah. Magical podcast per usual, all, you. No, nothing, yeah. but, uh, yeah, yeah. Logic landmarks for the humans that want to keep, uh, achieving dreams. I yeah. think that's pretty really cool.
1: Well, we got to go 3d, man. I'd love to yeah. grab a meal with you. And I really appreciate you having me on.
0: No, dude, I pumped you pumped you hop on. Uh, uh, then just, uh, the housekeeping stuff where can everybody find you on socials and then um obviously like the the leadership summit and all those are awesome too i've taken some of the like the smaller available courses that you've offered and then the book going right um you can find that i, I think i got mine on amazon
1: yeah amazon's yeah.
0: probably the best place it's also on audiobook if people are into that thing do, do you um, read it yeah i do yeah let's go, let's I might go. Have to, <laughs> that might be a new yeah. car read for me hell yeah Yeah. Um
1: yeah, you can find me at functional coach, all one word on Twitter and Instagram. All the educational stuff is at deucegym.com forward slash university. I'm actually leading a cohort of a course called Business Prep 101, which is non-specific to fitness. You know, gym owners definitely would benefit, but it's it's general and it's premise, and it's 13 lessons. And, uh, there's a a call optional call that's recorded and I'm taking a group through it starting January 18th, I think. So if people want to hop in that cohort, it's a good time. Uh, super practical. You'd be like doing exercises to improve your business, um, learning a concept each week with a case study assignment, um, lecture and then obviously the community of people going through it uh, and then looking to get the hold the standards summit on the schedule for new york so you know been all around the world i haven't done the east coast yet so that'll be cool
0: looking at april boom yeah Yeah. and then uh but like uh for clarity's sake because uh because i'm probably gonna hop in at the 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 business uh 101 is what it's called business prep 101 yeah business, business prep 101 that's the 13 classes are virtual, right? And then we can yep. hop on. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Well, yeah, again, thank you for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank thank you, man. And i uh, hope to, to see you in person soon. Yeah, you're the man. Be well. Right, bro. Yeah, you too.
0: Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Hopefully you're getting some value or at least some entertainment and juice out of it. If you are enjoying the podcast, please don't hesitate to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcast, Spotify, everything you can find. All the support and interaction is greatly appreciated. Thank you for all the support and have a day.